Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello. And this is The Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Gave you a little blast from our childhood right there. I think the only other song that gets me jacked up like that one that's all instrumental is some of the Rocky stuff. But uh, that was uh, this week in baseball for our audience. Yeah, that, some of the NFL film stuff, that's, that's what that reminds me of, too. Yeah. That's classic NFL films tunes. Yep. It's, uh, and people don't realize there's music playing. It just kind of became embedded in the, in the show. But uh, we've got a great show for you guys today out there. We just eclipsed 20,000 subscribers. So that's a big day for us. It allows the next progression of our project here uh, with Real Voices of the Game and all of our shows. But I want to just thank those subscribers, 20,100 as of today, right before Sal's show. I'm sure it's going to jack up in size as soon as this show gets out there on, on the live wire. But just keep download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. You keep doing that for us. We can keep providing you great content like we do on this show. We have faithful followers in 72 countries, and our next phase of this is going to reward you guys uh, for all that you've done for us. And uh, we're going to try to keep this ad free if possible and subscription free. And I think the next phase will satisfy not just our hardworking hosts here, but also satisfy our um, our faithful, loyal audience. So I'll leave that up. Should have it up by next week. And uh, We'll get ready to roll here. But Sal, welcome back to your show. You had a uh, trip to sunny Florida. Yeah, always good to get uh, down south. And, um, you know, it's hot in Florida. It's so ridiculous. You know, I live in New Jersey, and we have hot, humid summers. And it never ceases to amaze me that every time I would tell someone I'm going down to Florida, the response is, you know, it's hot in Florida in the summer, as if that's somehow unexpected. So it's just uh, it's just a very funny response to get when it's disgusting here right now and it's not near the heat it is down where you guys are but we have just gross humidity which makes makes the makes the day worse yeah the difference uh, we had a great one thing before we start and i forgot to mention to the, uh, this to you in our preamble but the united states won the world championship of lacrosse which oh, wow. which was great it was and you know you know at the end of the day it's really two teams it's the usa and canada and uh we we had beaten the Canadians in the first round because we were in their pool. So that kind of clinched us in the number one spot going through. And then they beat them as well in the final game on Saturday. So that's just a, a great a moment for the sport, a sport that's growing in leaps and bounds. ESPN has made a huge investment in the PLL. They actually had streamed – well, every game of that tournament, I believe it was 140 plus games, and uh, the final couple of games were on ESPN Plus. Uh, I'm sorry, ESPN Two. So mm-hmm. it's it's uh, if you're not familiar with the sport, check it out. It's fun to watch, and uh, it's grow. Like I said, it's growing like no other sport in this in the country at this point. Yeah, it's it's overtaking, and I'm you know baseball fanatic, so haven't played in coast of my whole life, but. I see a lot of kids gravitating towards lacrosse and I think soccer was probably, you know, we're not competitive globally on the men's side, women's side a little bit more. Um, but I see a lot of kids gravitating towards that away from baseball and towards lacrosse away from soccer. What makes it such a exciting sport? What, I mean, I, I've never played it. I've watched it minimally only at your, um, at your urging, but uh, what makes it such an enjoyable sport? Because you, well, you have two boys that play at a very high level. 
Yeah, all three of my boys played. Uh, my older boy played club for a few years till college got in the way um, at Clemson University, and he had a great experience. Club lacrosse is, has become quite competitive. And my other uh, two boys, my well, well, I have twins, one one of which is on a scholarship at a D1 school. They, it's, a, it's a great sport day because it – if you are into basketball, football, soccer, you know, field sports of that nature, it, it's a great crossover. A lot of the concepts in lacrosse are similar to basketball, defensively and offensively. The athleticism has gotten to the point now where it, it's become a game about matchups, but there's such a high skill level that it, it's incredible to see this the things that these guys can do. And it's, it's exciting. And I mentioned this in the last show, it's exciting to see other countries coming along and, and making a go of it, not with American players or Canadian players who have some roots to these other countries, but true homegrown players. Uh, Japan had a great showing in the tournament. Jamaica had a, a very surprising showing. The Italian team did quite well. Now they had a couple of Americans playing, uh, as Italians, but they had they had a good team, and and what that's going to do is it's going to enthuse the local t- teams or the local populace, so to speak, to get into it. Israel has developed uh, an, an impressive lacrosse only complex, and they're getting great response to it. So it's it's just fun to watch. It's a fast game. Uh, as a parent who sits through. Two and a half hour little league games, a lacrosse game you could set your watch by. Even a D one a D one game that's not on TV, you're done in two hours from opening face off to the closing buzzer. So it's it's a time efficient sport. They've done a lot of things to pick up the pace. They've added a shot clock. Uh, they they've made other substitution changes to the game, which really just help to help to um, make it flow. That's an interesting shot clock. Soccer should do something like that. I agree. You know, some of those World Cup games were the most exciting when a tie was not going to suffice and you saw one of the team or either team, both teams, try to play at a faster pace. They, they've really done a great job adding the shot clock at the pro level and at the college level. It's not at the international level yet because uh, the shot clock kind of puts the less talented team at a disadvantage and at this point, there's such a disparity between the top two teams and the rest of the world. It would be unfair to kind of um, to have the games under those circumstances. So what they try to do is it, it does kind of equalize for the talent level. But at the highest level, the PLL, the Pro League, has actually shortened the field by 10 yards in addition to sh- uh, the shot clock. And it's actually a possession clock. And they've done some things off the opening face-off, which, which also speeds up the game, which is super interesting. We could get into that at another uh, yeah. point. But uh, just to, I wanted to mention that we won, and we won, and uh, we did it in a pretty impressive fashion. I've got one more lacrosse question because I always talk to young athletes about this. You know, I'm 5'10", 165 pounds on a good day, and I played college basketball, college baseball, professional baseball. My size obviously doesn't lend itself to look at me and say, there goes a college basketball player right there. And I often talk to young kids about understanding how big they are. You know, what's the, you know, what what does it look like for my sport? Because there's a lot of these six foot guards out there. There's only about 65,000 of them in the, in, you know, each state. 
but they gravitate towards basketball because they love it. And I keep telling them, I said, like, you know, baseball would be a great sport to take a look at. It's that's a, a good size for a baseball guy. And you've got all the basketball skills. What's the size of lacrosse guys like? Is it more towards football? Is it more towards bat? What's, what's kind of no, the- it's it's becoming it's becoming a little like what's happened in other sports. Obviously, bigger players are becoming much more popular, much more prevalent, especially on the offensive side. What, what you've had, the defenders have been uh, bigger guys for the last, I would say, 10, 20 years. And now you're getting, you know, six foot two, six foot three, six foot four offensive player. Brendan O'Neill, who had a phenomenal, he was the only college player on Team USA. He was the most outstanding player in the tournament is still got another year of college. Oh, wow. he's, he's a big, he's a big six, three, six, four, two thirty. you know, looks like a tight end. So he, and he's from one of the tra- traditional hotbeds uh, of lacrosse on Long Island. It's not as if he's coming from one of these newer places like Florida, Texas, California, Colorado, uh, uh, the um, Atlanta area, uh, there's places in Seattle, Washington, and California. Obviously, they're playing. But he's coming out of, a, of one of the traditional hotbeds. So uh, the more kids that play, no matter where they're playing, you're going to get that size is going to increase. But that being said, Dave, you would be right at home on, on a field at, at your height and weight. Uh, the, some of the better players, one of the best players in the world, Mike Sowers, is, would be smaller than that. A couple of uh, Many of the players are on the small side. But it's, it's becoming increasingly more common to have bigger guys playing. But I think because of the nature of the sport and the rules, there'll always be that ability for just like the in the NBA, you could still get the point guard and other players uh, that are not necessarily giants that are able to excel. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. There's hope There's hope for us short Italian guys. Yes, sir. In another sport. So, well, from lacrosse to laxatives you sent you and so our audience knows sal and i communicate quite a bit throughout the week through text sometimes phone calls sometimes social media where we bounce articles and whatnot after uh, off one another and and all, all in preparation for the show but also we enjoy um trading ideas and thoughts so we uh start with the first article and, and hopefully i'm segueing into the right thing though but you sent me something and the, the title knocked me away and it's like common laxatives may also boost brain connectivity and treat mood disorders. So there, there's an article you sent me on studyfinds.org. Right, um, and, and, and and it was interesting just because of that itself was kind of interesting. It's not anything earth-shattering. You know, it's not uncommon to find certain, uh, whether it's an over-the-counter or a prescription drug can have another purpose and it's a positive purpose. But with the, the I don't really want to get into the nuts and bolts of it because my my bigger point to this, Dave, is what we've talked about over time here is that so many of these studies are either done in a way that is meaningless or is questionable and certainly is not much to get all worked up about. And the, the reason I bring this particular story up is if you go through this article and they do a very good job of describing what happens and why this drug might work and what the mechanism is. And it tells you it could be good for clarity. It could be good for other mental functions. At the very end of the article, it you know, in these articles on the web, it tells you if you're interested in this article, you might be interested in another article on the same subject. And sure enough, the first article that they tell you to link to that you might be interested in is titled, Using Laxatives to Clear Up Constipation Can Increase Dementia Risk. So here we have a story on one hand that's telling you that this same kind of a drug 
can help your mental clarity. And now at the bottom, we're being told, here's another story that totally counters the whole article we just read. So again, the, the, the lesson here is be very uh, wary, be very cynical, be very suspicious when you see these articles because they frequently are superficial and don't mean anything in the big picture. Well, that's how most people get their news. They just read the headlines. And I think the headline itself is a little irresponsible. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a way to kind of, I guess, control your input. They feed you one thing, then they feed you the other. And then by the time you're on Article 10, they've got you sucked in probably on every one of your social media accounts, figuring out this is what this did. The algorithm says this person likes this. Now you, you got, you're blasted with input. Like and, and it's all meaningless. You've wasted, you know, maybe you've wasted 30 minutes of your day, you know, that you had to read some things. And at the end of the day, you, after reading those articles and trying to digest what they're telling you, you get to the point of, wait, what I just read canceled everything I read in the article before. So it's, it's just, again, one of those circumstances where you have to be, red flags have to be up. You can't believe all these things and you have to be very uh, suspicious and read read some depth into the uh, read with some depth into these articles. You just can't, like you said, read the read the headline and move on because that's not going to work. And you know, another one, you know, you talk about these uh, algorithms that throw stuff into your feed, whether it's your news feed or a social media feed. The last couple of, I guess, the last week or so, I've been getting stuff about turmeric, 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 and and the, those family of of spices that have become quite popular. Yeah. Well, just I'll give you this aside uh, as an aside, and then we'll move on. But w- one of the studies I read and an article that analyzed the study basically pointed out that the dosage they gave to mice, they use mice a lot in these studies, and they had some positive longevity results and anti-inflammatory results with these mice. But the problem is if you equalized the dose that they gave the mice to a 150-pound person, you'd have to eat like four pounds of turmeric a day to get any possible benefit out of it. So, you know, again, that's where these studies kind of bamboozle you. You don't really see a lot of the detail or you might not understand the detail in the descriptive portion of the study where they say something like how much, what, what they were dosing these mice with. And if you're kind of just reading it as a casual observer, you might not delve into, well, geez, how much does that, compared to what they weigh. But that's what they do in a lot of these cases is they construct the study in such a way that makes it not cross over to reality. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy how they, it's like the reverse scientific method. They get their, they get their answer and then they just kind of reverse engineer it to prove their point. The, uh, so, so do you, do you promote turmeric? Do you no. use it? You don't like, See, I, I, mean, I don't care. I'm not, it, it's, it's another one of these, uh, you're, you're chasing your tail. It's like it, for for all the print and digital print that's been wasted on antioxidants, there is still no laboratory blinded study, double blinded study that proves that antioxidants actually work in the human body as they are theorized to work or as they have worked in other kinds of settings in a laboratory. So... Are they bad for you? No. Are they good for you? They're certainly not as good as the bill of goods that we've been sold. Yeah, somewhat more hype than I'm going to have to send you. I'm going to send you this after the show. I 
there's a guy who does a lot of testing on this stuff, uh, Mike Adams. He's a scientist, uh, natural news. Sometimes a lot of his stuff is canceled out there, but I find him to be pretty thorough with stuff. I'll have to send you his stuff. He does a lot of testing on these type of things that you're, you talk about week to week. It may it may be a, a good 30-minute read or a listen uh, for him if you haven't heard of him or listened to him. Yeah, before. no, I, I appreciate that. That's He's pretty great. responsible. He, he, uh, he, he, he'll... He's the one, I think I mentioned the water filters when I, I mentioned it to yes. one show, but he'll test a hundred water filters and he'll put them through the ringer before he does his findings. So I'll send you his, his information as well. Now I use turmeric probably because of one of those hype, hype studies on anti-inflammatory and I put it on every one of my smoothies in the morning. I do banana, uh, avocado, a little bit of peanut butter powder, some uh, manuka honey. That's another one of my things. And then some turmeric on top. So it's not a pretty smoothie. It's not one of those ones you're going to find in the store, but mentally I feel healthy when I do it. So I'm, I'm not sure if the, uh, if the hype of my, my mental pump up of the smoothie is actual equal to the, the physical positives it's supposed to do to me. So yes. that's my, that's my concoction. Yeah. Well, the placebo effect is strong. So yeah, I don't do it every morning cause I know a lot of the same is not good, but, um, so did you now? Did you send me this next? Well, I guess the next article was was Joe Linder. That was uh, he has yeah. So that's you know. that's something I read, and the original story. It's this guy, and I know nothing about him. Uh, I saw the story, and the way the story was originally presented, he has a YouTube name called Joe Aesthetics, and he's a bodybuilder, and he died, and he was a publicized pro vaccinated guy for three whatever it was two vaxes, three vaxes, and the booster, two vaxes and three boosters, whatever it was. And he died of a heart attack at, at 40 or whatever he was, 30, after a sudden aneurysm. So the one story I read that was presented as, here's this guy, healthy bodybuilder, and dies suddenly of an aneurysm, and that fits the narrative that counter that runs counter to the pro-vaccine is good for you narrative. It's that, well, people are dying and otherwise healthy. So while I believe that, there's a, a whole other side to this. And I, and one of the pet peeves I've had over the years is bodybuilding. Bodybuilding is probably one of the least healthy endeavors there is out there. That's, and it's certainly the least healthy that's being presented in many ways as being healthy, because not only is it working from a, a negative standpoint of aesthetics, interestingly enough, that's a big part of this guy's uh, online moniker was Joe, Joe aesthetics is what you look like. And there's very little attention to, are you really healthy? And, and all of these bodybuilders, and I, I, I'd be surprised if anyone didn't know this, but it's almost like telling people pro wrestling isn't real. Uh, pro, bodybuilding is all based on taking drugs. So that's the first thing you have to realize that on top of whatever, bodybuilders might be doing, especially this guy that might be healthy, he is utilizing substances that are not healthy and have a risk factor. And all of these drugs, addition, in addition to that, have counterindications or they, they might have negative ramifications when used with other things. You just don't know because there really have been no studies because it would be unethical to pump people full with steroids and see how they respond. But there's a great deal of, of anecdotal evidence that can show after the, after the fact the damage that's caused. So, And then in this article, they go on to say he, he um, 
he suffered from uh, a condition that was overactive muscles and he had these muscle twitches and he was taking testosterone replacement therapy. And it's just a big smoke and mirror clouds, uh, uh, smoke and mirror show and putting up clouds to obfuscate. The truth here is that people are a people are dying from the vaccine and people who, who take testosterone replacement to look like a bodybuilder aren't healthy. Yeah, you see, well, again, and I don't want to be, I'm not a doctor, but you see a lot of these pro athletes, I think it was probably in the late nineties, early two thousands, all of a sudden started having kidney issues and kidneys, as we know, is, you know, get your waste out of your body or helps, helps do it. But, you know, to do that, to your body unnaturally, it's going to do damage. I mean, that's, and we, we saw, I think you brought it up before, but you know, we saw bodybuilding attach itself to a lot of things in, in the seventies, eighties, um, baseball being one of them. Um, and I think that that was probably something that prompted the steroid era was that involvement with, with bodybuilding. Well, it's, so here's the, just b- before we even get into that, the rule of, I don't, I, it's not really the rule of thumb. If you see somebody super, super lean, but holding a lot of muscle mass, that that's using a performance enhancing substance of some type. The body is designed to, to require a certain amount of body fat. If your body fat gets below a certain number, and that could be, would probably not could be, it's in the single digits. Once you get down into the single digits, your body will start to rid itself of muscle because there is a feedback loop in the body that when the body fat gets too low, that's our, those are our energy stores. That's our historical, that is our old school, deep ingrained biology that kicks in. We're, we're not in control of that. The body self-regulates. So if the body senses, geez, we're getting low on body fat, we can't be burning a lot of calories. So what it does is it rids the body of the tissue that burns calories, which is muscle. So that's why you get that phrase skinny fat, because once someone gets too light or too low in body fat, their body will act to rid itself of muscle. The only way you can counteract that is with anabolic agents such as testosterone, growth hormone, and all of these new generation of peptides that allow your body to produce more growth hormone, which allows you obviously to increase your muscle size. No, that's, uh, I think that's well chronicled and well put, you, you know, do you want, you want to transition to the next one? The next one's the one that kind of caught me, um, had a little, little emotional attachment to it. Cause I wanted to call the guy and challenge him until I realized the, you know, the, the race he ran was in 1983. So I was only 10 years old. So I'm less threatened by, by <laughs> the article, but the, uh, it was, a, and I, I still don't know if I'm still trying to find out if the guy's real, it's about an ultra marathoner. Cliff Young, who was a sheep herder, that's how he trained. But he he ran what was a 544 mile ultra marathon from Sydney to Melbourne. And I honestly thought when you first sent it to me, first I thought you were you were you know antagonizing me late in the day and saying, okay, this guy's better than you because not me. I would um, never do that. It's the, we're, we're, you and I can be a little juvenile towards each other sometimes, which which I enjoy. 
but I was thinking it was more after I got over that, I was like, this is a Sid Finch article, isn't it? This you know, the, remember the yeah. one in the Met pitcher where he threw, sure. Threw in a boot. But, uh, but anyway, what, 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 what caught your eye on that article? Well, what's funny, I have a colleague and um, a colleague that I met 20, almost 20 years ago at a coaching convention. And it's someone I have regular contact with, but because he is in Ohio and I'm in New Jersey, we don't see each other and we don't go to this conference anymore. And he is a farmer and he is a chiropractor and he is a PT and he also is a distance runner. So, and we always joke that he's like Green Acres. That's how, how Mark is. And he has that, you know, I would have not associated the accent with Southern Ohio, but be that as it may, it sounds like a Southern accent. So it's something that Mark, we always joke about. And when this guy came out, when this story, he actually sent this story to us and we were talking about how it's very much like our buddy Mark, because we figure out how does he have the time in his day to, to not only be a chiropractor, a coach and uh, a farmer, but then he also runs. So uh, that's how I came across this story. Yeah, running takes up a lot of time. I mean, it's like I would say it's it's equivalent to golf in terms of the amount of time commitment you got to have if you're if you're doing distance like that. How, now, what is your what's your colleague? What's he? What's his endeavor? What's his race? So he has a he has a cattle farm and he uh, he he does five k's and ten k's. He's not an ultra marathoner, but he's not. A, you know, he's my age. He's closer to my age, if not my age exactly, than he is your age, Dave. And he's still going at it and. Uh, so we, we always, and he has this great, he has obviously a working farm and his daughter played division one basketball at uh, Loyola of Chicago. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, they're pretty yeah. good. Missouri. And um, every year he would have the team come to the farm and they would do like a two week real training session where he would have them do stuff that he has his athletes do in his farmhouse. And it's, it's not really an excuse to do farm work, but it's all based on the concept of of lifting bales of hay and and swinging a, a pickaxe and swinging a sledgehammer and carrying stuff uphill and running uphill and downhill. And it, and it started out as kind of a goof, and it became a thing that these uh, this team these this team of women basketball players loved, and really helped them prepare themselves for the season. Why, you know, we, you, you promote that all the time in terms of getting outside, doing real work, uh, moving your body. So when, when I when I hear you talk about that and then I read about uh, Cliff on his sheep farm where he had to herd 2,000 sheep on 2,000 acres and he did it by foot. He didn't have a uh, didn't have horses. Um, you could see how that for him, that was Tuesday. That's what he did. And it uh, organically built his body to endure I guess the race he ran 544 miles. Well, he never stopped. That was the thing. They said that while the other competitors stopped to sleep, yeah, he just kept going, which is insane. I didn't. I didn't remember in the article, but to, I know because I, the one I did was 100.3 miles, and that took me almost a day um, to do. 544 miles. You're talking about a, a week straight of running. Six in less than six days. Yeah. That's, I mean, I don't know if that's, I know there is a famous uh, Australian ultramarathon of, of, a, of a crazy distance that's beyond the one, like the distance that you've done. I don't know if this is that marathon, but I know there are, there is, a, there are a couple of crazy ultramarathons in, uh, in Australia. 
Yeah, they now there's another one too. People will run the Appalachian Trail. It comes starts in the south, goes all the way up to the to the north, and it takes almost a month to run. But they will sleep. They won't. Um, you know, they'll they'll stop and sleep for a bit because you can't run for a month. Uh, but that's that's the uh, that's kind of the unofficial test of tests for for runners. But you better have a team there. And I laugh when you're talking about the sheep farmer and and uh, you know the and your colleague that has a cattle ranch. When I showed up for my first ultra, they were laughing their rear ends off at me because I, I consider myself a prepared athlete. You know, I won't just jump into something. I'll prepare mentally, physically. And I knew what what was around an ultra in theory, but until you do it, you don't really, you don't, I, I didn't appreciate the giggles that happened when I showed up with just myself, one pair of shoes, one pair of socks, you know, my shorts and t-shirt and had a long sleeve in case it got cool out night in Arkansas in the fall. But um, these other guys showed up with, and women, they showed up with teams because at certain yeah. points in times you can have somebody pace you. Um, you change your bag at, you know, certain mileage so you can, you know, change your socks, your shoes, uh, change your outfit so you feel fresh. And uh, there's a lot of nuances to it, certain music that they did. I ran the whole, I ran it without a team, without a bag, um, without, actually without a water bottle, believe it or not. Um, wow. I, someone gave one to me when I was there. I was like, because they have little stations along the way where you can, I just didn't want to carry stuff. Um, you know, you're you're running through woods and up, you know, 13,000 foot elevation. And I was like, I just want my hands free. Um, I didn't have music to ran to. I was kind of just going to breathe. And I, I knew how many steps I had to take per mile. And I was just going to stay locked in on that. Kind of like what you talked about last show where you've got your, you've got that in, in your head, that metronome that, you know, that the yeah, for the sprint. Right. Yep. You want to get 17. Yep. 17 strides. So it, it, without knowing the name of that, it's kind of what I did um, at a slower pace than that. But anyway, yeah, they laughed. And uh, I had two, two locals who had run the ultra in the past. Cause it's just, it's one of the qualifiers for the, the big events. And they, uh, they said, we get, we got you buddy. So I, they're like, what do you need? I said, I'd like to drive the, the trail. Someone will drive me. And so they did, they put me in there truck they drove me 100 miles i got to see visually what it was like the night before and then um the next day they they showed up at all the different stations for me and uh you know said okay eat some of this now eat some of that now so one of them told me eat drink pickle juice and i excuse sorry audience for being visual on an audio show but i i threw that right up in about 15 seconds pickle juice does not um work with me apparently well you know the problem is in any of these I don't want to say panaceas, but those kind of or remedy is probably not even the right word. But that's all of that stuff. You need to have a tolerance for it. You you just can't go into a situation and and all of a sudden introduce that into a circumstance where you're in an extreme physical environment. Yeah. So uh, that's not a surprise. It might have benefits. I, I know people who swear by it, but I would also say the way to use it is not out of the blue. That there's a great you know, if you're if for there's any um, endurance athletes out there, or, or not even even for your workout, a teaspoon of baking soda in eight ounces of water, six ounces of water is phenomenal for uh, improving your endurance. But you would never do it for the first time the day of a race because some people experience stomach stomach distress. It's the same thing as taking an Alka Seltzer to an extent. It's the same active ingredient. And there's been research that shows that that's a great way to stave off fatigue, and it helps uh, hold uh, the the pH level in your body, and and allows you to go longer, harder. Uh, but again, you certainly wouldn't wait until the day of a race to try it for the first time. 
or at mile 64 like I did with pickle juice. Or even during the race, correct. <laughs> and, and, and reflection, not a good idea. Broken like a guy who's broken a lot of uh, cinder blocks with a sledgehammer in his life. Oh, my God, yeah. Yep. And, and try, try, try things out, too. You should try stuff out, see if it works. Um, we didn't have shows like ours to help, you know, set us in the right direction. We had to try it out and see if it worked or not. So, um, no, I, I, it was a great article. I, I, it took me through all sorts of emotion, and it probably wasn't supposed to do that. But I went from being felt antagonized to, hey, this is Sid Finch, to there's some pretty cool stuff in here. So um, you, you sent me a quote, too. And if I'm skipping something, you tell me. No, that's good. You're good. You sent me a quote that says, and this, this hits on a lot of what you and I talk about personally, too. But it's dangerous to be right in matters on which the established authorities are wrong. And that's Voltaire, I think, if I'm reading that right. Yep. Yep. But, um, you know, we, you and I both share documentaries, we share articles, we share things on life, sports, but, but also politics. What, what were you hitting on with that? Just, it's just a reminder of what we've spoken about here is that there, and it sounds, I hate to speak in the terms of the blue pill versus the red pill. And I still get confused as to which is which and what does, but to, to realize you get to that point where you realize in so many instances, we've been lied to. And not only lied to, we've been lied to and then told it's not a lie when the person telling you it knows it's a lie and that we know it's a lie. So we've, we've entered this weird time. And it doesn't matter if it's something that's consequential to our life immediate and the lives of our kids like this vaccine and the treatment in general of COVID. Or if it's I'm reading a book about ancient Egypt, and there's been a battle going on there for 30 years in the scholarly levels of redefining the timeline of our history. And there's a lot of information that's been suppressed. When I, The more I read about this and the more that I read that there's been these questions around since the, since the 90s with the true age of some of these structures and, the, and the, the true purpose and some of the surrounding science and the surrounding technology of those times it's everything you read you're finding there's another side to what we've been told and it's kind of i don't know what the how that makes me feel at some point uh, that everything you 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 really the, i guess the i guess the long the short way to say it is that concept of question everything has a root in some real truth it it does and i think this gets a bad rap, but I, I tend to be a heretic by nature. I question everything. Um, it's exhausting sometimes, but I think it allows for you to figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And that's a message that we, we pump every time to people that listen to us. Don't take our word for it. You don't have to agree with us. Um, you know, have your own opinions. Become, you know, what, what I call, which is hard to do nowadays, become high agency first principle uh, self-teacher, which is... You know, high agency people figure stuff out. Uh, first principle, with all the input we have in the world, it's very hard for people to have an, their own original opinion, There's, unless you've got a great filter. And then, you know, like we're talking, we're joking about it, but in reality, you don't always have to follow somebody else. It's good to get ideas, but you know, teach yourself what works for you with some of this stuff and what what fits you in terms of your, you know, what knowledge you take in. But you know, I don't know how I feel about that either because we we both were you know you're, we're products of our education system. We're products of our media and we're products of our policy. Those are the three things that surround us with all the stuff that kind of you're talking about with, especially this history component. And you know, that it's a, it's a constant collaboration to feed us messaging. 
And, and you know, we talk about when we went to talked about the diet, the the big fat surprise. The author of that book, who didn't start to write the book with an agenda, found that there was data suppressed because it was going to erode the power of the person that was in position to dictate what what was being done uh, was going to be able to do. So he withheld and was able to hide data and intimidate those who tried to stand against him. We've had that in recent history. We, we could talk ad nauseum about Fauci has done the same thing, not only with the COVID, but with AIDS. Reading this book about Egypt, there are clear advances in technology which can clearly show that the ages of some of these structures, which was supposed to be 4,500 years ago, now could be as old as 10,000 years old. And how that completely changes the, the thought process of how society, civilization has progressed. But the people who are the gatekeepers of that old information don't want that to come out because then they no longer become the experts. They have to go back to work and not reprove their position, but now learn about what's the possible way really that things have happened because there's enough questions now to, to say, geez, we're on the wrong path here. And we can't have all of these paradoxes, which is another thing they mentioned in the book about nutrition. You know, you had the French paradox, which said, well, geez, they smoke and they drink and they eat cheese and they eat meat and they don't have cancer. And then there's all these other circumstances of, of populations that do these things that don't match because of supposed of the supposed risk factors. Once you get to a point that it's no longer a paradox, it, it, you have to rethink the whole paradigm. Yeah. When you talk, I, I read it, and this, and again, Gladwell's not scientific by any means. He's more social psychologist, and more, he's like a, a modern day Seinfeld without the jokes. But uh, he he wrote about that in one of his books. I don't know if it, I can't remember which one it was, but he wrote about Italian communities. You know, eating all the things that we talk about not eating: the sausages, the meats, the olive oils, the whatnot, and living their life expectancy being through the roof. And he attributed it to community that uh, people in community, and it can't, it can't just be that, it's got to be a bunch of factors, but we, we saw that with the pandemic, you know, and we're, we've got an article that we're, we're going to hit on next regarding that from a Stanford uh, doctor, but uh, how important is community? I mean, that's when they put the masks on and told us to stay inside, that's going to affect health too. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it, it, it's, it's multi-factor, multifactorial, I guess, but at the bottom line is, there are other behaviors we're engaging in, which are bad. And it's all, it all goes down to the uh, processed food that we're eating, I think, in, in that, in that regard. And, and, you know, that ties, you know, we're talking about completely doing the same thing and, and no one questioning. And we had that, I don't know if I sent you this one, but there's one of the Dodger uh, relievers had just come back from uh, a te- an ACL tear and um, he, he sprained his MCL. So this guy, Daniel Hudson, has you know been killing himself to get back from an ACL tear that he, he tore in his left knee. And now, and now he's going to miss a significant amount of time because he tore his MCL. And so what are they doing? What are they doing with these guys that it, he's got a torn MCL as a pitcher in the other knee, and now he's going to have to miss a significant amount of time? This – it's amazing how much money these teams are willing to just throw away because that's what they're doing. They're throwing money away. 
where, where does, there's, there's, again, like we talk about things being multifaceted, there's, there's a number of things that probably stemming back from his early childhood training that lent itself to that, that ACL to MCL. What, in, in regards to his case, what stood out the most for you? Like what, 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 well, I don't, I'm not really, you know what? I don't, I wish I knew, but I, I'm not privy to any, any information, but you just, that's not a normal occurrence. It's not like he's a football player and is getting rolled on a wrestler or a, even a basketball player that is getting possibly hit in the air and comes down awkwardly on a dunk. He's, he, it's a, it's almost, it's not a true closed skill. Closed skill means there's very little, you know, like a, a true closed skill would be the shot put, right? You don't have to worry about another player. There's nothing in the environment that's going to change. Your your technique is the same every time. I mean, at baseball, it's not totally a closed skill, but it's as close to it as possible with, with still having elements of, of spontaneity in there. But for the most part, and, and he's, still, he's still going through his rehab, so and he hurts it. So it's just... I don't know. I couldn't. It would. It's not fair to posit what it could be, but it's it's nothing good, and it's nothing that's a positive reflection on the system that we're using to uh, train and rehab our athletes. Also, I didn't realize he hurt it rehabbing. He didn't hurt it coming back and performing again. Yeah. Oh. Well, I don't even know how to respond to that. Yeah, he's going to miss at least another month or two. I, I don't know that I've heard people getting injured rehabbing before. Oh, it's happened. You yeah. you you get that all the time, and you know they'll be down there for something, and they'll pull a calf because their the rehab focuses on a narrow area. You know you you read that all the time. Well, they'll resume baseball activities. Well, unless they're in a wheelchair or on crutches, there should be baseball activities that you could modify that you're always doing. Yeah, and then that's again we talk we we share about that how that is the way to get stronger in any sport is whatever sport you're playing, you know, don't just resume the activities, do those activities. That's how you get strong with it. Well, did you we, we kind of touched on the 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 COVID situation. We had a a doctor, which this is rare, a doctor from a uh, West Coast very liberal university has come out to address the mistakes like we didn't know that the COVID pandemic. Uh, that 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 the our, that we made as a society as a government with the COVID pandemic um, before even before the lockdown occurs. What? Uh, yeah, it's just so it's interesting. His name is he's a doctor, Doctor J. Bhattacharya. I was going to let you pronounce that one because I was stuck. Like that? Yeah, that was good. And I could probably be an announcer based just how I threw that out there without any practice. He he was one of the early guys that was looking at data about the shutdowns and uh, and social distancing and went from being part of the establishment to questioning a lot of the things that were being done and kind of was on the outs and he stuck to his guns. And because I think he's at a place that his credibility was high and I think it shows you the value in sticking to your guns when you know you're right because after that first pushback, they didn't push back on him again. They kind of let him say what he said. And he, he's been just a vocal critic in general. And his po- his whole point here 
and not to belabor the point, but we need a total overhaul of what's being done in public health before we go further. We're, we're still talking about, I, unbelievably, they're talking about more vaccines and more boosters. And, you know, we've obviously had the constant discussion of this weight loss, uh, this type 2 diabetes drug that's being used for weight loss and the development of an obesity pill. We have these products that are coming out of a system that's entirely broken, just like, and you, you again, we this is the discussion and this is the, the taking it back before I make the point. The status quo and what's being done to prepare athletes and rehab athletes for the most part is broken. And there are people out there doing good work, but it's still being shoehorned into a system that's failed. And what we're getting is continued failure. We're getting athletes who are not truly conditioned for what they're doing. And the people that have been doing this now for a, at least a generation of ball player should have to justify the results of their work. And they haven't been called to task. As we jokingly said, no one's called us yet for our help and how to straighten things out. So with that being said, it's the same that goes for our public health officials. They're, they've been all so wrong. And starting at the top, I don't care if it's if it's Fauci, if it's Walensky, you know, I compare Fauci to the Brian Cashman of the Yankees. Never has one person for so long presided over such a, not even disappointing, but a, a horrendous performance and with every possible advantage, and yet you have really nothing to show for it. And if anything, at least for Cashman, you could say they haven't really gotten worse but in the United States under Fauci, uh, the health of the United States citizen has gotten worse. So uh, that's where we are. And that's what uh, Dr. Bhattacharya says, is that we need to revamp this whole system before we can go any further. Yeah. And then in a follow-up article, Dr. Peter McCullough, I've listened to a ton of his stuff. In fact, he's he's on quite a bit with the scientist I mentioned before, Mike Adams, um, who calls himself the health health ranger. That's his, his self anointed nickname, but McCullough has been on a ton with him and you sent an article on him, basically, you know, questions, you know, why it, it really brings to task the CDC. And then, you know, why are we just hearing about some of these cases now? And, you know, how could all of the CDC analysis show no relation to the vaccine, just the silly stuff that we know. And then why aren't we allowed to see any of their analysis? Right. The, I was like what you're saying. There's been this mistake. There's these broken systems. These are the the groups that broke it, why can't we see how you made your decisions? Right. And and now we have a study that looks like it's going to be presented in The Lancet, which is one of the most respected medical journals in the world, that looked at 325 autopsies and found that the vaccine was the cause of death in almost three quarters of them, 73.9%. Yeah. And so again, what I don't want to go off on the tangent because we could just talk about this the whole show every show but it's just what we're, I'm going to always bring it up because it's just one more piece that is on that side of the ledger there's never something we haven't seen anything that's come out that said the damage from these vaccines isn't as bad as a lot of people were were claiming it could be uh so uh so I think that's I think it's a good thing to always bring to people's attention that this is not going to go away so I'm not going to stop pointing out these cases where real data backs up the point that these vaccines have caused more damage than they've uh, 
prevented. And the one thing I will always say, and and when we bring it up, there's not one healthy kid that died from uh, COVID, but there's healthy kids who died from the vaccine. So we'll leave it on that. Yeah. But I recommend McCullough. He, I mean, he's obviously going to be published with this and it's great research, but he's, he's got a number of studies that are in and around the things that we talk about from a nutrition standpoint as well. So I would recommend his. And, and one, one thing I think that's super interesting, and I don't know if they're getting ahead of something here, but the uh, one of these companies that makes the drugs here that are the... Um, the, the type 2 diabetes drugs that are being used for weight loss, they're coming out now. And um, they're, they're a company, it's one of the companies that makes this drugs, Novo Nordisk, who we talked about last year, uh, I'm sorry, last show, that there's a concern that people are using it for weight loss. So I, I think it's interesting that they're walking this back a little bit and say, well, you know, if you're in your twenties and you might need to be taking this drug or you might want to take this drug to lose some weight, uh, this might not be for you. And to me, that's an interesting concept because what's the difference if it's going to be for in your twenties or your thirties, you're just as capable. You have high level world-class athletes in their thirties so you certainly could take a 30-year-old and have them go on a diet and exercise program and not need a drug. So I, I just think it's it's interesting um, to see that now we're gonna we're starting to see this a story or two come out that it might not be the greatest idea to be prescribing these drugs for weight loss. Yeah. And on another, I guess you could call it a drug, there was uh, the WHO now is claiming a sweetener that's been pumped out there for, for decades is now potentially carcinogenic there. That's, that's Well, you know what? I think the who with Roger Roger Daltrey would have a little or just as much credibility as the WHO. So if you look at how the WHO... Took me a second uh, to get that one. I got that. I know, I know. <laughs> You're a little slow. Um, the, if you look at how the WHO classifies and qualifies these things, it's basically meaningless. It's a meaningless assessment that really is not worth paying attention to again just like if you're if you're the the peop, the reason there's probably you know and again the, in the, in the one article i read the author says you don't want to always go correlation you know correlation doesn't equal causation but at some point there's at least the reason to to bring it up what what's the reason a lot of times the people who drink a lot of diet soda are not healthy and have a lot of other factors that contribute to their demise a lot of obese people still drink diet soda. A lot of former drinkers and smokers drink a lot of diet soda. That's a, a, a reflection or an extension of the, the ha- habits that they've, they've formed on other more damaging substances. So I wouldn't even pay attention to this. I think it's, it's at a time where there's a lot of other things the WHO should be worried about from a public health standpoint. And they're worried, you know, they're worried about artificial sweeteners. It's, uh, it's not even worth, uh, I think it's worth noting that it's all BS and then it's not worth worrying about. Yeah, I was, uh, that was one of the ways I took it as well. It's with all that's going on in the world, like that's a strange topic to be tapping into now. Um, and, and you're right. People, I, I laugh at people. I'll see them and nothing against, I don't really eat uh, fast food stuff. 
But, uh, you know, I'll see somebody eating a couple of Big Macs and a Whopper. And just because you're washing it down with Diet Coke doesn't make it healthy uh, for you. So um, we got our last article. You wrote uh, it's a health watch. And it's again, it's another it's a weight loss drug um, that, that they, they're tackling in that article. This was the most recent one you sent me. What's yeah, that, that is the that's really what I kind of jumped around and talked about already is that the company that makes Ozempic and Wagovi uh, is, you know, like it, it's a great it's 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 great because it reads like a parody. If you read how it starts weekly weight, this is the first paragraph, weekly, weekly weight loss injections like Ozempic and Wagovi have taken the country by storm thanks to trends on social and mainstream media. Now, the pharmaceutical company behind the medications is sounding the alarm on providers on providers for prescribing the drugs irresponsibly. So right there, it's your why would they come out and say that? To me, it it's, makes me again being suspicious. Are they trying to get ahead of something? Are they are they concerned that there might be other data that's coming out that's going to show that? There might be a problem associated with taking these drugs for certain things and how it's not a panacea. So, I, again, I just think it just like the first story, story we started with where they're telling you on one hand, these laxatives are great for brain health. And then at the end of the story, they're telling you to check out this other story that says laxatives could cause, may bring about Alzheimer's. This is now in the same news cycle as we're being told these are the greatest drugs ever. They're going to cure obesity. The drug company itself is saying we're worried about these drugs and how they're being prescribed. It's just it's just a nonsense and it's be laughable. Yeah, and they're they're using celebrities, Hollywood people, and they they're tar- I mean they're irresponsibly targeting people who are looking for that quick fix. They're over that thirty, you know that that it's in the body mass index greater than thirty, probably. No, you know that's the thing we didn't talk about that um, a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> the America Health, uh, the AHA came out and said, "No, I'm sorry. Which uh, I forget which group it was to stop using the BMI. The BMI never should have been used. It never was meant to be used for what they wound up using it for. So it's a joke that in 2023, uh, a legitimate medical organization has to come out and not and not just soundly say this should not be used and should never have been used, but kind of still soft uh, soft." pedals it and is like, well, you know, there's other things that might be better. Well, yeah, there's a, a thousand things that might be better. And especially the simple one is get your body composition done, which you could pretty much get done anywhere these days. Yeah. And it's, or, you know, get up and move a little bit. Yep. You know? And what these, what these two drugs, I guess probably most of them do, they, they produce or they, it's basically a mod- modified version of what we already have in our system, what we already have in our body. Correct. It's kind of telling us we're full. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's similar to the abuse of, as we talked to the weightlifters, we already have testosterone to overload your body with something you already have with an unhealthy amount of it is not good for your body. Otherwise, the thing with testosterone, when you don't need it, when you take it, your body, again, it's an, it's the feedback loop there. So you're, let's just, uh, I don't, let's, let's take the number. You're supposed to have a number 10 of testosterone in your body. So your body set senses, okay, we're at a 10. We're going to keep producing it like we normally do. But now, all of a sudden, you have a 15. So your testosterone production shuts off because your body's like, well, wait a minute. 
our sensors, our receptors are telling us we have more testosterone than, than we normally do. So we don't need to make as much. And what happens for the people who abuse the, uh, the testosterone is they do that for so long, their body's system can no longer turn back on and produce testosterone once they go off the system, once they go off the drug, because their system has been wrecked by the rampant misuse of, of that substance. Same thing that happens with sugar. Your, your, body is, your, your body's ability to produce insulin can no longer work because it's been so stressed. This is the kind of the same thing in, in the opposite way. You've used so much external testosterone that your, body ha- your body's own system hasn't produced it. Sometimes it doesn't turn back on and you have to go on permanent testosterone therapy to keep it just at a normal level. The body doesn't know how to do it anymore. Correct. Huh. Well, where do we want to? How do we want to leave our audience here? We've we've taken them from laxatives to testosterone to a sheep farmer to Voltaire. I mean, we've yeah, Voltaire. That's the that's the. I think that might be the intellectual move of the week on the network. Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna stake the claim to that. I'm gonna say no other show had something as highbrow as a quote from Voltaire this week. And this is the last show of the week, so there's no one nobody can uh, top you. But, uh, I'm going to leave him with that. Next week, we're going to come back and talk about a little more training because we didn't talk really any training this week. So next week, we'll just tease with that. We're going to talk waist, weight vests and uh, and proximal loading. How about that for a teaser? Weight vests and proximal loading. Well, I always promise, and you had to, so we, we, I always get at least two to three SAT words for the kids from our show here. I write them down. I put them on index cards and let them go. Now, I don't want to get too far into the next show, but weight, weight vest. Do you feel the same way without telling how you feel about uh, ankle weights? Ankle weights, bad, distal. Uh, that's distal loading, and especially for how you're loading and, and the activity you're loading, and uh, versus proximal loading, which is a weight vest, which is close to your center. Got it. Now, I'm going to throw one more thing I lied to. Is that distance well different than let's say the resistance like you get with uh, the parachutes that come out of your back there? Uh, it's different. Okay. That that but that is still that that is uh, let's put it this way: not all distal loading is bad. That could be a positive distal loading. Okay. I believe ankle weights and carrying weights and wrist weights are are bad are bad are examples of bad distal loading. Okay. That's how I think about our episodes here. I kind of think out loud, but now that I had you, I forgot I corner you with a couple of pre-thoughts. I can get, I can do some quiet. Hey, I'm never cornered. I'm never cornered. I know. You're too quick. I've seen those caps. You can get out of it. <laughs> but, uh, okay, well, great show today. Episode 222 with the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. It gives, gives you a ton of information. Um, we always appreciate your efforts on here and glad to have you back from Florida to New Jersey. But next time you get down to see your boys, you got to give me a holler so we can hang out. Get to, get I will. To, uh, Grab a bite to eat together. I won't use turmeric, I promise. And we'll get that on there. But uh, great show today, Sal. We appreciate you so much and have a great weekend. Thanks, you too.